Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Last week, of course, I started a uh, kind of a new series. My target for all of this is to speak to you about membership, but it's not in a mercenary sense. You know, I want you to join the church and I want you to give all your money and all stuff. I do. But it is not, that's not what, you know, that's not what drives me, you know, that what I'm going to get out of this. It's really what you're going to get out of this if, in fact, you wholeheartedly offer yourself to the work and service of the Lord. Because it isn't for nothing. And that's, um, it is definitely not for nothing. And so we want to, I want to take a, a, or offer a, a fresh presentation regarding the concept of membership. I'm going to develop this just a little bit more before I get into that. Before I actually get into, I think membership is kind of a subtopic. And the larger topic to me is the church, okay? What is the church? Why did God create it? What is its mission? What is our mission? Um, How is it supposed to operate? These things are all things that we cover in the um, uh, Discovering Membership thing, which uh, some are taking this morning, and that's good. This is just kind of a little broader and kind of a, hopefully something which will um, inspire us. Okay, so I'm presuming that probably most people here have taken the uh, membership course. If you haven't, you should, because there's a lot of really good information. It does not automatically make you a member, um, because that is something that you would um, opt for or not. So taking the course Will not, does not necessarily instantly uh, induct you into membership, but it offers you all the information that you would need in order to think about it. But, uh, so I'm hoping to kind of, I, I was in the first service, it kind of, I don't know, things, the Holy Spirit just like shows up every once in a while, you know, which is kind of interesting. And, uh, and so as, as I'm talking about all this, I'm realizing that the church per se, now I'm talking about the church, worldwide church, okay? Churches all, every, every Christian denomination and subgroup and all of that. If you think about all of them that are, let's suppose most of them are meeting this morning or whenever their time frame rolls around for them to have church all over the world, people are meeting for church. But by and large, very, very, very few people of the 2.2 billion okay, that claim to be believers in Christ Jesus and believers in, in the Word of God, the, I would say very, very many of them absolutely do not have the vision for what this thing is. And that's why the church remains kind of, not even kind of, the church remains anemic in the middle of a of a, of a world that's falling apart in the, in the middle of a, of a world that's going into deep moral confusion, right? All right, and, and on, the, on the landscape, on the horizon, there's very little information that seems to be bubbling up that is affecting uh, the times that we live in and the psychology of people's minds that we live in. Very much, very little is really coming from the church. Because if we really, the, the better we grasp this whole concept of what the church is and grasp the concept of like, God has chosen me to be part of this. I am not here to be a spectator. I am not here just to sit in a comfy chair on Sunday and hear Pastor Steve speak more words. I am here to change the world. Really, every one of us can be and is meant to be by God a world changer. 
And you, and you will, if you, are, if you are actively and energetically pursuing your faith, it will all by itself affect people around you. It cannot help but do that. It cannot do otherwise. So anyway, um, my title here was for last week, The Church Humanity 2.0. Okay, the first, the first Humanity 1.0 went quick, like about one chapter in the book of Genesis, and it was gone. Don't think that that was a surprise for God. It was not. It was all factored in. God knew that Adam and Eve could not and, and would not um, withstand the onslaught of demonic deception, the lure that was the trap that was being set for them. But it didn't matter because God had, God had all of this stuff fully worked out um, before it ever began. You know, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So anyway, so much stuff to, to uh, talk about here today. So my, my goal is to give us a, a, a fresh look at the church. And I believe a fresh look at the church will inspire us to say, man, I am so fortunate to have been drawn into this thing by God. I am so amazingly blessed. I am so amazingly privileged because God has called me into his family. Okay, so we're going to take a look this morning at the church. What is its mission? Why did God create it? What, how is it supposed to operate? All these different questions. We'll take a look. But I want to share a, a passage of Scripture as a starting point or uh, kind of a text. And the passage of Scripture is a passage that I use all the time when I do a wedding, although it has nothing to do with weddings. It has nothing to do with marriage. It has nothing to do with couples per se. It has to do with how believers are to relate to one another. But because it is, it is um, uh, put out in a, in a relational context, it, and, and because it fits the... The, the society or the fellowship of the church, it also fits beautifully into a marriage because the same principles are true. The same things that bind us together as fellow members of God's family bind a husband and wife together. The same kind of principles that, that uh, make it, give it a solid foundation, solid and sure foundation. So the church, Humanity 2.0, here's the passage. From, it's from Colossians chapter 3, and it's, uh, this is a J.B. Phillips translation. If you want to read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, in a fresh way, get yourself a J.B. Phillips translation or go on um, Bible Gateway or any of the uh, any of the, the websites, and you can find J.B. Phillips translation. But the guy just has a knack for getting to the the crux. You know, some some uh, uh, tr- paraphrases use a little too much liberty for my liking, and and they just try to be too relevant and too hip and too sexy, and so they they fail, in my opinion. You know, sometimes the message is like that. It kind of leaves me like, is it trying too hard? Um, but, um, but Phillips nails it every time. And so here's, here's his statement. As, therefore, God's picked representatives of the new humanity. Just stop there for a second. As, therefore, God's picked representatives of the new humanity. Do you know who you are? You are one of God's hand-picked representatives of the new humanity. You are what God is doing right now. 
God is taking lost people, lost lives, trashed lives, broken lives, and he is putting his spirit into those lost and broken and empty and shattered lives, and they become born anew of the spirit of God. That's why last week our text was, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But that's a vision that everyone has to catch for themselves. Otherwise, life just goes on. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's easy just to get into that discouraged, defeated every day. This is the same old, same old, that kind of a thing, right? And it doesn't have to be that way if we, if we really are mindful of the fact that God has called us into his family, and we are God's hand-picked representatives of the new humanity. Cool thought, right? As, God, as therefore God's hand-picked representatives of the new humanity, purified and beloved of God himself, be merciful in action, kindly in heart, humble in mind, accept life, and be most patient and tolerant with one another. Always ready to forgive if you have a difference with anyone. Forgive as freely as the Lord has forgiven you. And above everything, be truly loving, for love is the golden chain that binds all virtues together. Now you can understand why that would work in a marriage, right? These same principles in which he is, which he is advocating and lobbying for in terms of the fellowship and the society of the church, these are the same principles that ultimately make a marriage work or not in, uh, when they are implemented. So we are God's hand-picked representatives of the new humanity, okay? We are, the, we are what God is up to right now, and God is looking to express himself through us. So, um, did you know that every week, 120 million people here in the United States attend church? Every week, 120 million people, now there are 300 30 million people in the nation. 120 million people attend church. More people go to church on any given Sunday than will attend every professional sports event in a year. That's a pretty amazing thought, isn't it? More people will attend church on any given Sunday than will attend every professional sports event in a year. So here's the big question. Why? Why do people do that? Why, do you, why not just stay in bed? Why not have a nice leisurely breakfast? Why not just hang out? Why, why pack the kids and put them in the back in their car seats and buckle them all in and, and all of the stuff that goes with getting everybody here to church? Why do that, right? What are the benefits? Why are over 2 billion people worldwide a member of some church family somewhere in the world? Why do they do this? What are the benefits? Where is the payoff? Why get out of bed and attend a church service when you could just stay home? You could go play golf and get out and put in 18 holes. Now, if, if I were to ask you that question, how would you answer it? Why did you do that? Okay, now having been a, or why are you doing this? Why are you here this morning? Now, having been a pastor for 34 years now, um, I think I can say with a fairly, uh, fairly high level of confidence that I am probably pretty accurate 
uh, most people have no clear idea. And we're, now I'm talking like church worldwide, because of course this is Freedom Church, so it's a whole different thing. This, you know, this is kind of like, you know, this, this is the, the creme de la creme here, you know. We were scum de la scum, most of us, before, uh, before we came to Christ, but now uh, we have entered into creme de la creme. Um, so we, I, I don't think that we are, but what I'm talking about is the church generally. I, I think that t- tons of people that are going to church this morning really have no real clear idea as to why they are doing it. For some people, some of those 2 billion people worldwide, 2.2 billion people worldwide, uh, they probably go out of habit just because it's what they always do. Or perhaps they go out of tradition or duty or guilt Perhaps many people this morning have gone to church because someone pressured them into it. I thought it was funny. Um, you know, Tim Lutke, they're not here this morning, so I, I won't feel bad if I say nasty and awful things about them. Just keep your mouth shut, that's all. No, but it was funny. Um, he had a, his Aunt Janice. I know, I've known that whole family for a long, long time. He had an Aunt Janice. And Aunt Janice is very uh, devout. And so she was hammering him and hammering and bugging him, right? You need to go to church. So one Sunday morning, this is probably about like maybe, maybe two and a half, three years ago, something like that. One Sunday morning, just to shut her up, he decided that he would come to church, right? So they were going to go to, um, oh, what's the church? Echo Lake, Echo Lake Baptist Church. Okay, fine church, good people, good, you know, all, all good. They were going to go there, but it was for, oh, they, they were participating that Sunday morning in one of these outreach things, and so nobody was there. They went to the church, no one was there. So then um, Tim's father, um, who, who, uh, who I've known personally for a long, many years, said, all right, well, we go on the other side, we'll go over to Freedom Church, right? So they come down here, right? And again, he's only doing this because his aunt is like pressuring him to go. So they come here, and what am I preaching? Why church matters, and it really, like, it, it absolutely, like, spoke deeply to it. Now, of course, you, you could never know that, but it's just kind of the way the Spirit of God works in different times. So, anyway, what are the, how would you answer that question? Um, <clears throat> if someone would ask you, why are you a member of the church family, what answer would you give them? So, today, I'm hoping to inspire a fresh vision of what the church is and how belonging to it enables me to fulfill God's purpose for my life, okay? That's really the key. Uh, Belonging to a church family enables you to fulfill God's personal will for your life. So I I believe that the better we understand what the church is, why God created it, what its mission is, and what a privilege it is to belong to it and to contribute to it, uh, the more we will be motivated to aspire to the call. Remember what Paul said when we got to that fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all long-suffering and, and patience, right? And so, in other words, having laid out the whole understanding of what the church is and, and why this is this wonderful thing that God is doing, he says, okay, so if you get it, walk worthy of it. Give your best to it. So we need to review who we are and what we are doing and how we are doing it. And so that's kind of what's behind uh, this series of messages. <clears throat> so first, you need to have um, this foundation of what the church is and why it is of such great importance. 
there are essentially five benefits that are exclusive to the church. Okay, today I'm going to explain the five irreplaceable exclusive benefits of being part of a church family. Okay, five benefits that are exclusive to the church. Nothing else, nothing else besides a church family can meet these five deepest needs in your life and and provide these five essential benefits for your life. Nothing else will will get you there. You can't get them anywhere else. They're not available through your work. They're not available. You can't find them through school, through your nation, even through your physical, physical family. Only the church can Uh, Only the church family can meet the five deepest needs of your life and help you to fulfill God's five purposes for your life. And we kind of looked at them last week. We'll be going back to that as well. Um, But we got to get there first. So that's that's a pretty intense claim that only the church can meet these five of these deepest needs. But I believe that um, by the time we get done with this, you will agree that that is true. So let's get started. First question, what is the church? How do you define it? How do you describe it? When I say the word church, what do you think of? Now, depending on your background, the answer to that will probably vary, right? If you came from a Christian background, you have some ideas about what church is. Non-Christian background, you have different ideas, atheist, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever background it may happen to be that you've come from, um, you will have specific kind of presuppositions or, or um, basic basic fundamental understanding of of what the church is. But my guess is that your definition of what the church is is probably pretty limited and not at all what God says a church family ought to be. So first, let me tell you what a church is not. That's where we'll start. What a church is not. A church is not a building. You know that, right? You've heard that many times. Most of us, when we think of a church, we think of a place that we go a location, a building. How many times have you said to somebody else, I'm going to church? It's the most common thing to say, right? So we, it, we intuitively think of the church as a building or a location or a place that we go. But churches meet in buildings, but Jesus did not die for a building. Churches meet in buildings, but the church is not a building. Secondarily, the church is not an institution, This is a misconception of what the church is. We often think of something like the institutionalized church, okay? That term gets thrown around, and there are churches that have kind of become institutions. It's kind of like there are um, seminaries that have become cemeteries. You know, there are churches that have devolved into institutionalized settings. They're out there, but the church itself is not an institution. So let me give you what just happened there interesting. Did that thing just go back by itself? Or Okay, here we go. The church is not a place I go to. It's not an event I attend. It is a spiritual family I belong to. The church is not a place I go to. It is not an event I attend. It is a spiritual family that I belong to. There are many verses in the Bible that teach this, but Today, I'll focus on this one. So the one I presented to you last week comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 46. I've kind of taken snippets out there to kind of show how this speaks of the basic culture, um, the basic society of how the church functioned in the first century. It goes like this. Those who believed 
were baptized and added to the church. They joined Ah, they joined with the other believers and committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They worshiped together regularly at the temple and met in small groups in home. Now, at homes, you see the whole process right there, okay? Those who believe, the starting point of being part of the church is believing, that all of a sudden you find that you have in your heart and in your mind a certain level of faith or confidence that this whole story about Jesus and what the Bible is speaking to us about his redemptive work is real and it's for you. And so faith awakens and initiates our involvement with the church. Starts with believing. Those who believed were baptized. The next step after believing is to be baptized. Um, I will not take the opportunity. Baptism is essential. Follow salvation. Everyone should do it. They were baptized and added to the church. They joined, it says. They joined with other believers and committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Uh, They worshiped together regularly uh, at the temple and met in small groups in in homes. Notice the order. God wants me to believe Next, he wants me to be baptized. Third, he wants me to join a church family. Number four, he wants me to commit to regular worship. And then he wants me to connect to some kind of small group fellowship, someplace where I am actually knit in or connected with other believers uh, that I can get to know and that that can get to know me. So the purpose of the church um, is to help you fulfill God's five purposes for your life. Let me see, we have... This is, what is, this is a definition of a church. A church is a group of baptized believers who've joined together in a commitment to help each other fulfill God's five purposes for their lives. Okay, the church is a group of baptized believers who've joined together in a commitment to help each other fulfill God's five purposes for their lives. The purpose of the church is to help you to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Um, I'll be referencing those five. Um, I I think I introduced them last week. We'll certainly be speaking more of them. But here's the really big question. Why is the church the most important group on earth? The most important thing that is happening on earth. Why? Maybe you didn't know or you weren't thinking that that was actually true, but it is. So why, why would it be true? Well, let me give you about eight different reasons for that. Number one, the church is God's family, okay? The church is not just an organization. It's not just some type of club. Um, The church is God's family, going back to that first verse, as therefore God's hand-picked representatives of the new humanity. The church is God's family. A couple of verses to bear on that. Let us thank the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was through his loving kindness that we were born again to a new life, and have a hope that never dies, 1 Peter 1. And here's another one. In in terms of this idea that you are born of God, in other other words, you are a believer today because of a direct act, supernatural action that God performed on your life when he came and visited you and nudged you good by his Holy Spirit. That's what got this thing off the ground. And notice how this is phrased in uh, the first chapter of John, verses 12 and 13. It starts off by saying, came into his own, his own did not receive him. But 
to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so to be a Christian means that you have been born of God, newly born, reborn, regenerated would be the theological concept. You have been born again into God's family. You, you become a human being by being born, right? No choice. When you are born, you become a part of the human race, okay? Well, you become a part of God's family by being born again into God's family. So what is God's family? Let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I am writing these things to you now so that you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. So the, the church of the living God, or what we are, is the support and foundation of the truth. If you have ever done any building whatsoever, you will know that if, if you are building a building, the most important thing that you must take care of and ensure is that you have a good foundation. If your building doesn't have a good foundation, your building is not going to last. It's going to fall sometime down the road because buildings require a good foundation. Jesus speaks of all that, obviously, in, in Matthew chapter 7. So if you, if you don't have a good support and solid foundation, your building is going to fall. And if you don't have good support and a solid foundation in the truth for your life, your life will collapse when trouble comes, when problems are insurmountable. Because in this world, trouble is coming. Okay, right now you are in one of three patterns with trouble. Either you're just coming out of some trouble that you just went through, or you're in the midst of some trouble, or soon you will be visited afresh by Mr. Trouble, and he will have, um, he will have some hassle for you. That is just kind of, what does it say? In the book of Job, Job is a guy who knows a little something about trouble, right? And he says, man is born to trouble like sparks fly upward. If you ever stood around a campfire and the fire's raging and all those sparks are just going up, just as naturally as that happens, trouble happens here on planet Earth. And so when it comes, if you don't have a good solid foundation, your life will collapse. So the church is the family of God. That's why it's more important than anything else on earth. It's more important than any business. It's any, more important than any government. It is more important than any other people group because it is God's family. Okay, here's one that may surprise you a little bit. It is the only, now we're talking about the church. The church is the only reason that God created the universe. Surprise? The church is the only reason that God created the universe. Did you know that? The only reason that God created this entire universe, this entire cosmos, is because he wanted a family. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you, okay? He, this, is why he, this is why he has made everything, because he wanted a family. This family is called the church. Okay, so here we go. Here's um, Ephesians chapter 1. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. 
In other words, before he got into how many galaxies, how many cosmoses, what are the universal gravitational constants, well, before God created the whole thing, what was he thinking about? I'm looking to um, create a family. Even, and, and, and the reason for that is because of what it says in 1 John chapter 4, where he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love cannot possibly know God because God is love. God is agape. Now, that means the very nature of the divine one, the divine being, although he is not one because he is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but the very nature is there's love in that union. There is, that's what's at the heart. I think that is just such a wonderful thought, that at the heart of our universe, there's love, there's acceptance, there's truth, the, that, because that's who God is. And so, the, 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 because God is love, if, when you love somebody, what, you, what love inherently or inevitably wants to do is to reach out to connect, right? That's, that's what love does. When a, when a man and a woman love each other, what they, 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 it doesn't take too long before they start thinking, you know, something would be kind of cool to have some kids, right? But the, you know, I mean, if you go along for a few years and you're kind of enjoying your time together and, and all of that, but at some point, that love wants to express itself to another human being, even though you know those kids are going to come into your life and wreak havoc, right? But, but it doesn't matter, and they do. For sure. And you still love them just the same because there's something in us. And so what I'm, the point I'm making is that from the very beginning, before any of the particulars of this planet and, and of this cosmos and all of it, before any of that existed, God was already thinking about what his goal was, and his goal was to create a family. You and I are part of that as, God, as therefore God's hand-picked representatives of the New humanity, purified in heart and humble in action. Oh, man, that, that, this is who God has called us to be. So it is the only reason that God created the universe. Before God even made the universe, he was thinking of us. He secured our salvation. He secured reconciliation at an enormous personal cost. That's, that has to be factored in. In other words, it wasn't just God who just changed his mind or wrote out a decree. At enormous personal cost, it was the cost of Christ Jesus going to the cross, sacrificing himself. That's how much you matter to God. That's how important every human being is to God. That he thought of you before he thought of the universe. He loved you then. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. So the church is God's family. God wanted a family. It's the whole reason that he created the universe. If he didn't want a family, nothing would exist. There'd be no planets, no solar system, no cosmos, no stars, no sun, no nothing, because all of it is just for one reason. Pretty elaborate um, setting, wouldn't you say? Okay, this, this, like, 
universe that is beyond all magnitude in terms of its vastness and its complexity and what kinds of things are out there. And to create this whole big thing just in order to start this process on like planet Earth. And that's, that's another reason why I do not believe there are aliens or extraterrestrials. I think it all starts with us. I realize that someone may think that that is arrogant or um, pride, or, but it is not at all. If God so valued the human race that he chose to become part of it, tell me that does not say something extremely unique about who and what we are and what our capabilities are. And, and, and it's important to know, Jesus has joined himself to us forever. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. Scripture says, uh, uh, Second Peter says, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. Um, and what does he say about the, um, God has given us extremely precious promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So God has called us into his own family. God has joined us. We are actually joint heirs with Christ. A little further on, we will, we will note the fact that the church is called the bride of Christ. It's not just a name. It's not just a title. It's a reality that we will forever be joined together with our Lord Jesus forever as a, as a wife and a husband are joined together in, in this world. We will be joined together. Everything that he does, he'll be going, come on. Hey, we're, we're, going, we're going out to uh, you know, some, some new galaxy out there. Wait do you see what they got going on out there, right? And we're just going to be like traveling along with them as consorts right? Amazed at all the incredible things. This is going to go on and on. It's going to be never ending. Forever, this will be happening. Isn't that exciting, right? So all you got to do is get through a few more years down here. You know, but not at all. It doesn't doesn't have to affect us in that way. This This is a joyful journey. Amen. This is a purposeful journey. So if God didn't want a church, family, nothing else would ever have existed. Number three, God is using his church to fulfill his eternal purpose. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 tells us exactly what it was that God had in mind. It says his intent was um, that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, let's, let's, let's uh, camp out on that. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, it means that God has purpose that this thing called the church should just sparkle with his glory. It, sh- it, it, it is meant to be the piece of unimpeachable evidence as to what life looks like when God, the true God, is in control. I don't think we've kind of achieved that quite yet. What would you say? In other words, I I think that we have badly missed that kind of a sense of what our destiny and purpose is. Don't you think? 
right? In other words, if we are to be the illustration of the manifold wisdom of God that is supposed to go out there and, and give enlightenment and instruction to the principalities and powers and rulers of the dark forces of this world, and then and that trickles down even to the people who are in charge of the governments and the structures and the corporations and everything. The church is supposed to be the ultimate model. So the, the reason that is said, or the reason I... I I'm saying that is, well, first, because the Bible says it, but secondarily, to be able to lift our whole perspective on what we should anticipate and expect from God. Well, I think we just tend to dumb this thing down. You know, um, I remember on, at our Bible college when you, uh, there was this big thing when you walked out the door, it said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. I think what all too often happens is neither. Right? It's more like settle for uh, mediocrity with God and don't get your hopes up. Blessed are they who expect nothing, they shall never be disappointed. Right? But that's falls so far short of where God wants us to be because we are God's hand-picked representatives of the new humanity, etc., etc. So, um, all right, so God wanted his family. The church is to be an illustration of his love and his wisdom. You know what God wants to do? He wants to do something similar to what you and I want to do. He wants to show off his kids. Right? You have, if you have kids, you know that when your kids are out there on the soccer field, the football field, the baseball field, or whatever, who are you looking at? Who are you rooting for? Right? There's a whole bunch of kids out there, but you guys, that little apple of your eye, that's the one that's got your attention. And that's the same thing with us. And you rejoice when your kid does something good. We were in, uh, we were in uh, this, a school meeting a couple of weeks ago. We we're just going to get getting to know each other. And this one little boy, I guess he's probably an eighth grader, a little Vincent. And I had to uh, put an air conditioner in one of the windows over there. So he saw me kind of like struggling with the thing, carrying around. So he came over and helped me. I goes, yeah, I, I do this. I, I do this with my dad. So the two of us were putting the air conditioner in the... And, and he just was really helpful. And, and, and uh, uh, so um, I, I appreciated it. I told him, thank you very much. I really appreciate your help. So that night we had the meeting and his mom was there. And so his mom introduced herself and she mentioned that she has this son. His name is Vincent. I went, oh. Well, let me tell you something. Your son today was caught in the act of doing something good. And like for, the, for, for 90% of that statement, her face was dropping. Yeah, your son was caught in the act of doing something good. <sighs> right? But the, isn't it wonderful when your kids get caught in the act of doing something? Right? It, 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 doesn't it bring you joy? That, that's what John said. I have no greater joy than to know that some of my children are walking in truth. Right? So when your kids do the right thing, oh my God. <laughs> right? When your kids do the right thing, it just fills you with joy. And that's what God is looking for on this planet. Can we catch a vision that big? Can we catch a vision that big that if we are everything that we can possibly be for God, God will turn the attention of more and more and more and more people because he's saying, that's my kid over there. That's, those are my people. That's my family right there. It, this, this is just kind of the, the thought that I'm hoping to inspire. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so 
why God's church is more important than any other group, any other business, any other nation, any school, anything? Well, here's the next reason. Jesus died for his church. Jesus didn't die for any business. He didn't die for any nation. He died for the church. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault. In the marriage relationship, which is what Ephesians chapter 5 is all about, it's interesting because he says at the end of that, I'm speaking of a great minute, and he's talking about, for this reason, the husband shall, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, they too shall become one flesh. And he says, I, what I'm speaking about here is a great mystery, but I'm actually talking to you about Christ. So in other words, he's saying this marriage relationship and all the stuff that has it to do, it is just an object lesson for the really, really important thing as to who Christ is and how we are related or how we are loved by him. So Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, okay, that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all of her beauty. Husbands are to, in, in that same passage, we learn that husbands are to love their wives and they are to sacrifice themselves to demonstrate that love. That's, that's the pattern. That's the way God says it will work, right? Parents are to love their children. And, and all of us know that you sacrifice yourself. For the well-being, if it's a matter of you getting something or them getting something, if you're a good dad or a good mom, you know where it's going. You have it much more on your heart to do for them than to do for yourself. So Christ loved the church, and in order to demonstrate his love for, that church, for the church, he sacrificed himself. If you want to know how much something matters, find out who's willing or, or, or what someone is willing to pay for it. Okay, that's what really indicates the value of something. When someone is willing to give their life for something, that shows how valuable, how extraordinarily valuable is. Christ died for the church. Number five, <clears throat> it is the only thing on earth that will last forever. It is the only thing on earth that will last forever. The old, the old expression is only one life. So soon it will pass. Only what's done here for Jesus will last. So it's the only thing on earth that will last forever. Think about this. Starbucks will not last forever. Okay? McDonald's is not going to last forever. Walmart will not be here forever. Costco will not be here forever. Toyota, GM, all these giant corporations. Blackstone, BlackRock, all these other things that are out there, they are not eternal. They will vanish away, and they will be gone. No nation, no business, no nothing on this planet will last forever. The only thing on earth that's going to last forever is God's church. Notice what is said here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. Glory belongs to God in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time and eternity. Amen. The church is going to last forever. Nothing on this church, on this planet will last forever except the church. That's how important the church is. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 speaks of the time when we finally will be gathered together, when the Lord will return, we'll be caught up to be with him, and this is what it says. Then, together with them who are still alive, 
um, we will be taken, we who are still alive will be taken in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And in this way, we will always be with the Lord. So we are his now, we are his family now, we will be with him forever. This is the only train that's leaving. This is the only thing that is going to survive this earth. And so again, it should help us to be mindful of the fact that like, let me get my all into this. Let me do what I can do because this is the thing that is going to prevail. Number six, Oop, I will build my church. Oh, that doesn't really belong there. That belongs in the next one. Let me see. Yeah, we had this problem last time, but I thought I fixed it. Number six, the church is the only group that Jesus said will succeed. And then do I have? Yeah. There, if you remember the, uh, the, the story, the encounter, we talked about it a bunch of times in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus is meeting with his disciples. And Caesarea Philippi is this place where there are all these temples, there are all these gods. What's cool about the place when, when you go there is there's ma- this massive cave is there. And... It was called by the people of that time, the gates of hell, because it is this gigantic cave and they figured that it was kind of a portal to the underworld and back. And so they built all these various different, everybody that had a religious point of view, everybody that um, had some kind of a uh, spiritual thing set up shop there. That's where they had their temple because it was right there in that big portal, that gigantic gate, which uh, had been had come to be called the gates of hell. And so Jesus in, in front of, standing in front of that or standing in that place, in the thoroughfare of that place, asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? They give the answer. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, Arab Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then <clears throat> the relevant question, who do you say that I am? And I, I always get the um, impression that, like, I'm, you know, there's starting people are like scuffing their shoes at that particular point. Nobody is altogether sure well, if they want to take the big risk and say it, and they're just kind of waiting to see. But Peter jumps on it, of course. And he says, I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and he says, and I say, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. No human being put this in your head. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, and of course this has been the the debatable thing, is it on Peter himself or on the rock of his confession? I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I fall in that argument on the side of the confession. It's what he said. That makes that that is the rock. In other words, anyone who says that, that because that is the starting point to having your relationship with Jesus. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. That's the nugget. That's the that that's the key that opens the door, right? And so I believe that that's what uh, Jesus is saying. He says, "I say it to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell." gigantic yawning cave portal to all of the demonic and uh, you know, ugly activity uh, of the underworld, all of that. The gates of hell will not prevail against this. In other words, I have the antidote. I have the answer. I have the recipe. This is out of business when my church is being my church, okay? And it also speaks to us or should speak to us about the fact that the church is meant to be on offense, we tend to have a defense attitude. Well, as long as we don't get beat up too bad. As long as we don't lose too much. 
right? But that attitude should change because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Okay, that's a wonderful statement. It's a wonderful thing to say. It may just go through one ear and back out the other. But it's something that should be considered. I want you to know today that you are a supernatural person. As hand-picked representatives of the new humanity, purified and beloved by God himself, put on that nature that is humble in heart, and you don't even, you can go back to, to read that thing. But in other words, if you don't understand that your life, you are a dangerous person in this world. You are meant to be a dangerous person to the kingdom of darkness. You are meant to be a dangerous person to lost people. Not dangerous because you will inflict some pain or suffering on them, but dangerous, the devil sees you as dangerous because what you know breaks the power of hell, shatters the gates of hell, and goes in and rescues the, uh, the captive and pulls them out to freedom. Hallelujah. Amen. So we should have that kind of attitude in our mind. In other words, there should be that kind of an expectation. Will this happen every day? It doesn't have to happen every day, but it will. It will happen. And it will happen to people you love. Are you praying for lost people that you love? Have you witnessed to the lost people that you love? Have you, have you actually spoken to them in a humble and gracious way about who Jesus is? Probably you have. Okay, maybe they didn't get saved yet. You know what? Maybe God isn't going to use you in that setting. Maybe you are just not the person that God wants to use. But I'll tell you something, God's got their number. And from what it says in the New Testament, one sows, somebody else waters, and God gives the increase. And so when we are active and aggressive when we are assertive in terms of saying, I am here to make a difference in this world. I am here to be a world changer. We gotta shake off the attitude that just accepts mediocrity as the norm, the standard. Now again, I'm, I'm not trying to hype us up for anything except the sense of expectation that because you are part of the church and the church is God's family and it is the most important thing that's going on, going on in this world, you and I should, spec, should expect some action. Yeah, forget it. Right? You and I should expect some action, right? Because we serve a God who is powerful, okay? He's powerful, though, in different ways. He's not powerful like, if, if you remember that story of, uh, um, I, I think it's Judges, and it says, and, and a big earthquake went by, but it's, it's Elijah. And a big earthquake went by, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a big thunder roared, but God wasn't in the thunder. And then big wind rose up and all kinds of noise and commotion, but God wasn't in the wind and the noise and the commotion. And then a still small voice was heard, right? And that was the voice of God. God God likes to do things in a very subtle fashion. It's, it's, it's much more dramatic. It's much more powerful. So, so I'm just trying to say, like, I'm not hyping us up for, like, anything except an expectation that you serve a God of power, that that God of power is in you, that his power, he wants to release his power through you because he wants to lift you up in the eyes of the people that are around you because you have the truth in your heart. You have, you have his reality living in you. You have his seed. You have his nature. You have his DNA in you. 
You are born again of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And you are going to make a difference, but you'll have to think about that, right? You, you, that, that should be, that, again, this, this is why I'm preaching this kind of message this morning, because I feel like we got we to gotta raise this vision. We got to blow this, this, uh, this trumpet and make sure that we are, and I got to finish in five minutes, and that's really tough, because I've been about four and a half more pages to go. Anyway, the church is the only group that Jesus said will succeed. I will build my church in the gates of hell. Um, Jesus is in the church building business. He is not building my reputation. He is not building anyone's reputation. He is not building nations. He is not building businesses. He is not building clubs. He is not building organization. He says, excuse me, I'm going to build my family. That's what I'm working on, which is kind of how you feel, right? I'm going I'm to build my family. Well, that's what his full till e- time and effort is placed into. I'm going to build my family. That's why I built the whole universe. I will build my church, and absolutely nothing will be able to withstand it. Nothing will be able to withstand it. Yes, there are battles. Yes, there are losses. Yes, there are times and things where things don't, play out exactly the way that we anticipated or hoped for them. This is a hard world that we are in. But read the last chapter of the Bible, and I'll tell you what it says. In Christ, we win. In Christ, we succeed. In Christ, we triumph. Because, of, because, we, because he has been victorious, we have victory in him. Ultimately, the church succeeds. It is the only thing that will last. And I think I'm going to have to press the pause button there. No, I, I, got, I could do a couple more. Number seven, the church is the only group big enough, diverse enough, united enough to solve the world's problems. Every, all over the place these days we hear equity, um, inclusion, and diversity, right? These three terms, it's everywhere. It has just become ubiquitous. Uh, every corporation, every school, everybody everywhere has to, be, has to learn about equity and diversity and uh, inclusivity, Right? God was on this like 2,000 years ago. This is meant to be the paradigm, the ultimate model of equity, diversity, and inclusion, right? The church got together and they, they just, they sold all their stuff and they gave it to one another, right? That sounds like equ- equity to me, right? And now I'm not suggesting that that's the way it's supposed to work right now. You know, we're gonna, but it, no, it should. It should. If somebody has a, has a need, then that's some, the rest of us here should be doing something about that, right? There is equity built into the thing. There, there's diversity. This thing is for every nation, race, people group, tribe, tongue. Everybody belongs in the church. There is no uh, segregation. There is, uh, there is nothing that precludes anybody from anywhere from being part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we've done a pretty bad job with... Um, with with having a, a church that I'm going to talk about us personally, but I'm talking about the church itself. I mean, for years the church was very segregated. There was black churches and white churches, and you know, little little interaction between. But that things are changing. Thank God they're changing. It, it, I was thinking about this in the first service. It took the church two thousand years to realize, you know, this slavery thing is a problem. Two thousand years. Okay? So it, it had to work itself out. 
Today, we live in a world where slavery no longer exists. Well, we live in a country where slavery no longer exists. There's slavery all over the world, and the people who are wanting to constantly beat the drum to say that America is a systemically racist country don't know anything about the progress that has happened here or are unwilling to acknowledge anything about the progress that has happened here on a much higher level than it has happened anywhere else in this entire world, because in most parts of this world right now, there is slavery as it has always been. It has never been any different. But just think about that. As Christians, it took it till the 16th, 17th century until people finally said, you know, the slavery thing is, this doesn't work. It's kind of a problem. And and it's it's wonderful that God didn't say to, to Paul in the New Testament, here's what I want you to write down. Thou shalt not have slaves. Okay? That would have been a total mistake because it would have created a societal upheaval. It would have made it all about slavery. And, he, and it isn't all about slavery. It's all about Jesus. And because it's all about Jesus, then it ultimately trickles. It informs. It, it allows our whole understanding of morality and life and truth to kind of blossom into something that then produces like rich and beautiful fruit. The ending of slavery in the Western world is directly attributable to the works of Christians. William Wilberforce, the abolitionist over here, the the lady who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, right? These were the people that turned the tide. These were the people that got in. They were in their time, in their generation. They They were the voice of truth speaking into the, into the broken culture, but it worked. And, that, and that's, what is, that, that's what we're getting at with this whole idea, which says that um, God, uh, God has made his church to be that which will manifest the, 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 manifest, or the multiplied wisdom of God, or however it goes. I'm not getting it all together right. But in other words, it has been shown through the church what society and what humanity could be, Right? That's what, that's, what we're, that's what we're here for. That's what we live for. That this is what society and life could be. Obviously, we're imperfect, but we have to take all of this with, with great earnestness, right? With great seriousness and say, do I just have a dumbed down version of the thing that is the most important thing on earth from God's point of view? Do I just have kind of like this lame attitude towards it? Eh, no big deal. And if, if I do, Time to chuck that. And time to get back in the Word. Time to get back. <laughs> Amen. Time to get back in the Word because the Word speaks to us. I, like, we got to quit. We got we to press the pause button more about this in uh, weeks to come where we will just be, where we will, uh, hopefully we will encourage our hearts to expect great, to attempt great things for God, to expect great things from God. Father God, we want to thank you for all that you have done. It blows me away to stand in this building this morning and see this place uh, nicely furnished that it is and see all these folks that have become part of our church family and to see all that you have done out of a little thing that started in a basement with a bunch of people who had no idea what the heck they were doing. And you have made something wonderful out of it. And we, I, I praise you as I thank you. I will, I will speak of it and rejoice over it from now till eternity rolls away. 
thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the lives that you're touching. Thank you for the people that you've brought in, the talents, the abilities, all the stuff. Thank you, oh Lord God, that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They cannot withstand the beauty, the goodness, the purity of your church when it is what, what it is supposed to be. Lord God, give us that vision in our heart and then let us be mindful of what, what we were learning from Paul when he said, therefore I as the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lonely, lowliness and long suffering. Yes, with all patience. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And incorporate us more. Give us the vision. We're do something. You're already doing something amazing. Let it roll, oh God. Let it roll. In Jesus' name. Amen.